Let us pray. Eternal God, open your ancient words to us, remove any distractions, and enable us to hear your voice and your direction for our lives. Amen. The scripture today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Jesus said to his disciples, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and at about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, let's start with what you're all thinking. This story isn't really about math, and I know that, but every time scripture seems like it might be about math, when all sorts of numbers and operations get tossed into the stories, well, even then, it's never actually about the math. It's so much more than that. Jesus attends a wedding at Cana. In the background of the story, we're told, now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. It sounds like the beginning of a complex story problem, but it really ends up being about God's abundance and celebration and joy. Now, if you want to talk about abundance, how about the six different times the four Gospels tell us that Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish? So that's 5,000 people with seven little handfuls of food. 
Of course, Genesis tells us that creation takes place in seven days. So among other things, that teaches us that seven in the Bible will always represent completion and fullness. But then we're told that when it comes to forgiveness, we ought to forgive 70 times seven, which I really think means pay less attention to record-keeping and more attention to reconciling. When God was reassuring Abraham and making a promise about the future, God said, look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able, for that is how many descendants you will one day have. The psalmist, in one of the most comforting portions of the Bible, says, how weighty are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. I try to count them, and they are more than the grains of sand. And then Jesus, offering comfort of his own, reminds his followers, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. And even the hairs on your head, every one of them is counted. So do not be afraid. Surely you are of much more value than sparrows. When numbers show up in scripture, it's never actually about the math. But there's something I never really appreciated until this week. And that's that the only reason these stories teach us the lessons they teach us is because those numbers carry meaning and specificity. Think about it. Jesus could have said, you should forgive someone as much as you can, as often as you can. Now that is still a tall order, but it is nothing compared to hearing, forgive someone 70 times, seven times. When a lot of forgiveness is quantified, even though it's not intended to be literal, we understand a bit better what sort of life Jesus is inviting us into. These past four weeks, we've talked about faith as it intersects with science, history, art, and now math, about what it means when Jesus tells us to love God with all our mind. There have been lessons for us all along the way, but if I had to find a connecting thread between all four weeks, it might be this. When we let faith be informed by science, we learn more about the astonishing world we live in. When we let faith be informed by history, we learn more about who we have been so that we can determine who we want to become. When we let faith be informed by art and beauty, we learn how to find endurance for that lifelong journey. And when we let faith be informed by math, maybe we learn a little better how we are to face obstacles when they appear. We learn more about the astonishing world entrusted to our care. We learn about who we have been and who we hope to become. We learn how to keep going, how to find strength and endurance enough for the journey. And we learn how to face obstacles when they appear. The workers in the vineyard in today's scripture reading, they are facing the obstacle 
of an unfair world. The landowner hires workers early in the morning, and then again at nine, and again at noon, and again at three, and again at five. And when evening comes and they are to be paid, some of them are drenched with the exhaustion of a full day's work, and some of them, by comparison, have barely broken a sweat. Those who worked the least are paid first, and when they receive a full wage, you can almost see the mental math going on in the heads of those who worked the most. They are already making plans for how they will spend this amazing paycheck before it even hits their hands, which is why disappointment hits so hard. We did more work, they say. We deserve more wages. Not today, the landowner says. This is one of those moments when it's easier to like Jesus in the abstract rather than actual practice. This story, it is the universal lament of everyone who has ever carried the most weight on a group project. You know what I'm talking about. Everyone's contribution level is different, some barely register, and everyone gets the same grade. The frustration is real. But isn't it even more so when it's about more than grades? What about the woman who works the hardest but is skipped over for the promotion? And what about the man who never smokes a day in his life only to be diagnosed with lung cancer? And what about the long-planned, long-needed vacation or wedding or reunion that was waylaid by COVID-19? Life isn't fair. That's an obstacle we all face sooner or later and more often than not. And because life is unfair, isn't that all the more reason that God should be fair? But when we look at the parable, the numbers just don't add up. David Eugene Smith, in his 1921 presidential address to the Mathematical Association of America, I cannot believe I just said that in a sermon, in his presidential address to the Mathematical Association of America, he said the laws of the Medes and Persians, unchangeable though they were thought to be, have all perished. The canons that bound Egyptian activities <clears throat> for thousands of years, exist only in ancient records preserved in our museums of antiquity. The laws of Rome, which once dominated the legal world, have given place to modern codes, and the laws that we make today are certain to be changed in the future. But in the midst of all of these changes, it has been ever true, it is true today, and it is equally true throughout the universe that a plus b squared equals a squared plus 2ab plus b squared. What I learned in chemistry as a boy, he went on, seemed true at the time. 
But today we have learned that much of it was not. What I learned of molecular physics then seems at this present time like children's stories. What we learned in history may be true to some degree, but it is false in other particulars. So we may run the gamut of learning, and nowhere, save in mathematics alone, do we find that which stands as a tangible symbol of the immortality of law, that which is true yesterday, today, and forever. If that last bit sounds a little familiar to you, it is quoted from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need not equate math with salvation in order to see a point of connection. <clears throat> in his book, Mathematics for Human Flourishing, which was actually much more interesting than I feared it might be, Francis Sue shares authorship with Christopher Jackson. Christopher is 32 years old, and he has been incarcerated since he was 19. There is no parole in the federal system, so the earliest he will be released is 2033. In 2018, Congress passed the First Step Act, which reduced sentences for offenses like his, but it was not retroactive. If it had been, he would have been released by now. There's nothing he can do about that. So he has passed his time by studying math, algebra and geometry and trigonometry and calculus and things that only show up in advanced journals. And he says that one reason for this is because math involves invariance. An invariant is something that remains unchanged no matter what operation you perform on it. If you, if you multiply a number by five, that doesn't change whether or not the number was even or odd. Invariants reveal insight about the operation itself. We learn more based upon what does not change. Christopher Jackson has very little control over anything in his own life right now. Mathematics, he says, offers comfort because he can rely on it. Now, our obstacles are different than Chris's, but surely we understand the longing for something that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Perhaps the certain and solid permanence of math can expand our understanding of the immortal, invisible, God-only-wise the one who insists on paying all the workers in the vineyard the very same wage. Because what is constant, unchanging, unyielding about God is not God's fairness, but God's grace. The numbers in the vineyard equation do not add up, and that is what is constant about God. That is the divine invariant, numbers that never add up. And we can give great thanks for that because it means 
that the numbers will never be stacked against us either. We do not need a God of fairness. We need a God of grace and generosity, a God who looks at all of God's children and says everyone is deserving of the very same and who will not be convinced otherwise. A God who will keep returning and returning and returning until no one is left waiting, wondering if there will be a place for them that day. It isn't fair. It isn't fair at all. It's grace. It's grace without merit, but it's grace without limit, too. In the end, that is the invariant that matters most in our lives, the fabulous, frustrating, faithful grace of God, because it's all grace. That we awoke today is grace. That we are here together today is grace. That we can understand science and learn from history and marvel at beauty and depend upon math, that is grace. That we can love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our strength and with all our mind, that is grace. And the fact that even when we fail at that love, God still insists on loving us, you better believe that is grace too. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.